you should find yourself in the middle of Ezekiel. Ezekiel prophesied a fair degree of doom on Israel for their apostasy, for turning to false gods, for abandoning the worship of the one true God. And uh, here in chapter 34 is um, huge judgment on the leaders of Israel, but then hope as God himself himself speaks through the prophet. So verse 1 of chapter 34, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed those who are ill or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Verse 11. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As shepherds look after their scattered flocks when they are with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. Here ends the first reading, and here's Justin with our second one. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have full life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad, why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of someone possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of, a blind, of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Justin. And uh, I'd love you just to keep a finger in John 10, page 106, sorry, 1016. And uh, can you also keep a finger, or bookmark or service sheet or something, in page 820, that's... Uh, prophecy from Ezekiel. So Ezekiel 34, page 820, and John 10, on page 1016, just as you're doing that, a word of prayer. Father, all scripture, God breathed, Paul tells us, and useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness, so that we may be fully equipped for every good task. Father, our prayer this morning, equip us as you feed us by your spirit through your word. Nurture life and life in all its fullness. Help us to see and believe and to walk in that belief. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. If you're um, visiting us this morning or if you're relatively new to us, it's great to see you. We have been now for some months just journeying through John's gospel seeing what it is that he's um, helping us to see of Jesus. We, we, we're kind of trying to access one or two keys that help to unlock the message of John's gospel. Uh, and one of the keys that we've been seeking to use through these last few weeks is this, this question, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the chosen one, the anointed one of God? Maybe a question that one or two of you uh, ponder from time to time. In other words, what's so special about Jesus? Does John have anything to show us? For a number of us here, perhaps a slightly more relevant uh, or incisive angle on that question is, is, what is John showing me of Jesus' messiahship? I know that Jesus is the chosen one of God, but what is it that John is wanting me to see here? Another facet, another angle on his anointing. And another analogy, if I, if I may, just as we um, tackle this passage in John 10, is the analogy of the, the different screens that you can have open at any one time on your computer. Um, forgive me again if you're um, not quite there with computers and so on. You don't have to be to be a member of this church. Um, um, but bear with me with this analogy. You know how you can have several screens, several pages open at the same time. You have a sort of live screen that you're looking at on your computer screen. And then the others that you've got open are kind of racked up on the toolbar at the bottom. And you just have to click on the thing at the bottom. And that becomes the live screen. So you can actually look at two or three things together just with the click of a button. 
And I'd love us, as we have the live screen of John 10, to have other screens available. I'd love us to be mindful of John 9, the wonderful talk we had last week from Viv Thomas. You can download that, incidentally, from the website. Uh, because that is the immediate context into which Jesus is speaking. You'll notice from verse 10, uh, chapter 10 and verse 1, he speaks to the Pharisees. These are the very same who've been opposing him and opposing the man born blind. So this parable that Jesus tells arises out of that um, conflict in John 9. Let's hold uh, as one of the screens that we've got open but not yet live. What, John did, uh, what Jesus did in healing the blind man. But the other screen I'd love to have open is Ezekiel 34. That's why I've asked you just to put, keep a finger in that text or bookmark it in some way. Um, because we'll flick back to that as we attempt to link Old Testament with New to see what John is showing us of Jesus. Jesus has the authority to liberate creation, to heal We've seen that in the man born blind in John chapter 9. That's been questioned. And that's what elicits this parable, verses 1 to 5 in John chapter 10. I want to look at the parable this morning. I want to unpack it as Jesus did. He uses these metaphors of a gate as being the valid uh, way or entry into the sheepfold. He talks of the true shepherd who knows his sheep by name and calls them out. He speaks of sheep who recognize the voice of the shepherd and who follow him. Uh, And I I want to unpack each of those in turn. Why why a parable about a shepherd and about sheep? It seems slightly divorced from our urban context in the 21st century, but of course, with just a little bit of imagination, you'll understand that uh, Judea and the Judean countryside much of it uh, on this kind of high plateau, not given to arable farming really, much better use was pastoral farming, and uh, all over, flocks, herds of goats, sheep. And so shepherds would have been uh, just the key character in the life of Jesus' day and time. And a shepherd was a key motif for Israel's understanding of someone who is vigilant who cares, who watches over those in need, who's, if you like, on duty 24-7, never slumbers or sleeps, always with responsibility for his flock. And Israel came to understand the qualities of uh, their long-hoped-for king in terms of a shepherd. So, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I I shall not want. He is the one who leads me beside still waters. Or the well-known Psalm 100. We are his people, says the psalmist, the sheep of his pasture. So um, Israel understood themselves as sheep and understood the one who would lead and call and nurture and guide them. The the, the king of Israel was understood in, in terms of the shepherd's qualities and characteristics. Of course, today we'd, we wouldn't think of a shepherd as someone who guides and advises us. We, we think of people in suits. They may have files tucked under their arms. They're called advisors or lawyers or consultants. And we pay them lots of money. 
And they look after our portfolios or our legal concerns, our rights. And just as we think of these besuited, desk-bound, screen-driven individuals, so Israel thought of the shepherd. The gate, legitimate entry into the sheepfold, the shepherd, the one who calls his sheep by name, the sheep, the one, those who hear the shepherd's voice and follow him. And there's a, there's a distinction made. You see it in verses uh, three, four, and five. And it's within the context of the shepherd's voice. Jesus is teaching that the Lord, the shepherd over Israel, knows the sheep and calls, speaks out their name. That's how they recognize him. Is Jesus the Messiah? What is John showing us of Jesus' Messiahship? He is the one who knows us by name, calls us by name. We are called to hear and respond to his naming us. And the distinction is drawn with the thief or the robber. Verse 1. Anyone who enters the gate by illegitimate means, in other words, sorry, enters the pen, the sheep pen, through illegitimate means, not through the gate. I'll come on to that in a minute. The sheep do not recognize his voice. They will run from the stranger. You see that in verse 5. Because he's not the shepherd who cares for them. That's the parable. That's the illustration that Jesus puts to the Pharisees and those in opposition to him. And they don't get it. The Pharisees did not understand verse 6. And we kind of know that's what's coming. We, we, are, we, we can see that they're, they're not going to see what Jesus is saying because they haven't seen what he's done with the man born blind. That man was physically blind and Jesus enabled him to see and he really saw. He began to defend who Jesus was in front of the Pharisees. The Pharisees tasked with the job of seeing are becoming blind. Just look for reference. Um, the top of the page, verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind, perhaps reference to that man, will see in spiritual terms. And those who see, we might put that in inverted commas, Pharisees and those who've gone before Jesus, will become blind. The topsy-turvy nature of the kingdom, subverting the known order. No wonder the Pharisees don't get this relatively simple picture of a sheep, uh, sorry, of a shepherd with his sheep. A shepherd knowing his flock, calling them by name and the flock, understanding and responding. The Pharisees don't get it. So Jesus explains, verses 7 to 10. Therefore Jesus said, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I like fondly to imagine that life with Jesus was so much fun that even though he's described as the word of God, the truth incarnate, that everything he says is light and life and truth, 
There were times when he needed to, to bring that to his disciples' attention, to the followers, to the people around him. I like to imagine that it was actually so much fun being around Jesus that sometimes you had to know, guys, seriously, seriously, I want you to really listen to this. Okay, all the other stuff, listen to this. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And as he makes that statement, I am the gate for the sheep, the Pharisees are, are rooted to the spot. There's shivers going down their spine. They cannot believe what he's saying. No great impact for us today, maybe. But do you remember? They certainly will do. Do you remember how God revealed himself to Moses? As he was calling Moses to lead the people out of captivity and into the promised land, Moses is doubtful, he's fearful. How will I have any authority, Moses says. How will the people follow me? And God says, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, tell them, I am has sent you. I am who I am. This is how I'm going to reveal myself to you. I am is my name. And you go in my name. And Jesus is coming. The word of God made flesh. I am. The identity of God, the name of God, standing before these Pharisees, standing amongst these people, I am the gate for the sheep. Why does he use this analogy? Why does he describe himself as a gate? Well, as you probably know, the sheep pens or sheep folds in those days, that's actually today really, relatively rudimentary constructs, just um, three sides or a, a kind of either a rough circular figure or a square of fencing or a wall with a gap and there was no gate as such. The shepherd himself acted as the gate. He would herd the flock into the pen for safety at night, and then he himself would lie across the gap. He'd sleep across the gap, ensuring two things. One is that the sheep don't stray out of the safety of the, flo- of the pen into wild or dangerous country. And secondly, ensuring that wild animals, wolves, bears, whatever it might be, don't come in to the safety of the pen. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. Look what he says, verse 9. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I've come, verse 10, that they may have life and have it to the full. Coming in to know ultimate security going out to be led to verdant pastures and waters, to be fed, nourished, cared for, so that the sheep may have life and have it to the full. If we were to translate that literally, it is to have a thing in an overabundance, whatever it is that you have, to have it in an overabundance. That is the life that Jesus, as the good shepherd, as the gate, has come to bring. Do you notice verse 9? This security in the pen, this uh, feeding and nurturing outside of the pen, the coming in and the going out, the life in all its fullness. Do you notice verse 9? It comes through me, Jesus says. It comes through the gate. 
Let me just pause and ask, have you come into the flock, as it were? Are you, are you part of the, the, the flock of God by some other means? I wonder if you're sitting here today thinking, actually, I, I can sort of, if I sort of look like a Christian, I sort of look like some of the other sheep, maybe dress the way they do, learn some of the language that they use, kind of turn up to places when they turn up to places, drink coffee with them, just be nice. Maybe I can just sort of osmose into one of them. I can sort of become a sheep. They won't notice that that looks like the paw of a wolf. It's through the gate. Jesus describes those who try and enter the pen in any other way as robbers and thieves. He says in verse 10, they come to kill and steal and destroy. Ultimately, that is what will happen to you and any ministry you attempt to offer if it has come about in any way other than through the gate. To come through the gate means literally to, to, to you, you have to kind of step over Jesus. Well, it's more than that. It's not stepping over Jesus. It's, it's, you'd have to wake up the gate. You'd have to wake up the shepherd at the gate. There would have to be some encounter, some personal encounter. And in that encounter, there's a recognition that this gatekeeper, this shepherd, as I'll, we'll come on to see in a minute, has voluntarily laid down his life for each and every sheep. For each and every one of us, in order to pass through into the safety of the pen or to feed in the pastures, in order to have life in all its fullness, there has to be a deep down recognition. Actually, ultimately, I think only the Spirit can engender that He has done that for me. I receive this as a gift. I can't know the security of the sheep pen. I can't know the nourishing of the pasture except through Jesus, I can pretend for a little while. You can fool all of the people some of the time. <laughs> and some of the people all of the time. You cannot fool the Lord. He makes it clear. I am the gate. You come through me. Have you stood in your mind's eye, as it were, face to face with Jesus, the gatekeeper, with Jesus, the good shepherd? In this week of all weeks, have you, have you been through the journey that he's been through from the heights of triumphant entry to the betrayal, to the denial, to the agony in the garden, to Calvary and the cross? And through, although we don't make much of it yet, <laughs> resurrection and new life, new power, fresh call, fresh anointing. No one comes to the Father, Jesus says, except by me, through me. I am the gate for the sheep. Do you, reckon, do you see the distinctions that, that is made? I've touched on it. Verse 10. Thief, those who come other than the gate. Verse 1, they're the ones who uh, do not enter the sheep fold by the gate, but climb in by some other way. They're thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers steal, destroy. Now look, let's get up some of these other screens. Look at uh, chapter 34 of Ezekiel in verse two. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. These who've entered the gate, uh, pretending to be shepherds in other ways. 
This is what the Sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not care for the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed those who are ill or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. You've robbed the sheep of the life that should be theirs in the Lord. What is it that these Pharisees have been doing? Look at um, verse 24 of chapter 9, page 1016. They summon this man who's been born blind, who's met with the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord of life. Give glory to God and tell the truth, they say. We know this man is a sinner, robbing him of the validity of his healing. Look at verse 34 as their anger rises. To this they replied to the man himself, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. His rightful place amongst the sheep. (laughs) And these false shepherds, these thieves, these robbers, steal the blessing and throw him out. That's why Jesus teaches like he does in chapter 10. I am the gate. I'm the way to security and significance and true self-worth in the sheepfold. I'm the one who will lead you to pastures and to water. And then he goes on, verse 11 and verse 14. I am the good shepherd. Again, the identity of God, I am the good shepherd. The first one in verse 11, briefly, this is in contrast to the hired hand. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, verse 11. But the hired hand, verse 12, is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. He's not grown up in that whole lifestyle. He doesn't know the sheep. He's come in with an ulterior motive. He's a hired hand. It's the money. He needs the money, so he'll carry out this job for a while. But he's not committed to the sheep. He's committed to the wage. So when the wolf comes, some danger, some adversity, he's off. He abandons the sheep. Woe to you shepherds who only take care of yourselves. Jesus says, watch out for them. And we say, well, yes, but how do I know that Jesus is the good shepherd? How do I know that? How do I know that I'm not being fooled by a hired hand? We'll look at this second saying, verse 14. Again, a repetition. I am this identity of God. I am the good shepherd. Now note this, verse 15. Sorry, verse 14. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. There are two words for good that are used in the Old Testament, uh, sorry, in the New Testament. One is agathos, and it means good or of high moral quality. It has an overtone of kind of austerity. And the word that's used here is the other word, kalos. And kalos means good and beautiful and compelling and inviting. Good and attractive. Not, not, not in a sort of physical sense but in, in, in the sense of sort of a character is compelling and attractive. That's the sense that's used here. I'm, I'm the attractive, the, the, the wholesome, the, the compelling shepherd. Why is that so? Well, because of the intimacy in this statement. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my sheep. 
and my sheep know me. My sheep. Do you see the possessive adjective of, of, of love and concern and, and, and goodness? My wife is called Jo. I could legitimately call her my Jo. But I'd be concerned if Chris here in the front row, sort of at the end of the service over coffee, went and put his arm around Jo and said, hi, this is my Jo. Um, I'd, I'd have words to say. Carefully chosen words, because Chris is bigger than me, but it, nevertheless, she's my Jo. I guess her parents, Jo, and children, but not many people can refer to Jo as my Jo, legitimately. Here's, here's Jesus talking about my sheep. Do you see the intimacy there, the love? Have you heard the shepherd's voice speak that possession of you, that intimacy of you? The shepherd who says, just as I am in in intimate relationship with the Father, so I am in intimate relationship with my sheep. Do you know him like that? Feeling the heartbeats of God. This beautiful shepherd who goes from the triumph of, of the entry into Jerusalem on that downward trajectory through Gethsemane and the agony and the pain there. This good sheep, who volunt- a shepherd, who voluntarily lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand runs away when there's trouble or adversity. But this shepherd recognizes the trial and the challenge and takes it on himself. He takes what the sheep might otherwise have experienced. He faces the danger. He goes through the stress. He does that for us. How good is that? Knowing us so intimately. Let's think about sheep just for a moment. They're pretty dumb animals. They just wander off. They follow whoever. They don't think. They're often straying. I mean... Sheep in and of themselves are quite pathetic. Here is the good shepherd. Knowing that of his sheep, knowing them so intimately yet, identifying himself with them, my sheep, for whom I will lay down my life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. In contrast to the hired hand, I am the good shepherd in relation to my sheep. And here I finish by way of application. The gate. Are you sitting here and actually you're conscious that maybe you've never entered into the security of the pen through Jesus? Why don't you do that as we sing our final hymn together in these moments that remain together? Walk up to him and through him to know yourself as one of him. For those of us, many here this morning who've done that, when was the last time you heard the shepherd call you by name? When was the last time as a sheep, as it were, you consciously recognized his voice in order to follow him? Or as we sit here as the Spirit convicting us, as he convicts me, 
of the times I listened to hired hands, to other siren calls, the offer of pasture over here, of security here. We know of that going on all the time, these people in the news this week putting their hope in these pension plans, um, buying shares in these companies that no longer existed. It, it sounded so good. Here's security. My future is secure. Turns out to be empty. It's robbed and stolen. Are we hearing the shepherd and putting our trust in him? Do we know that we are his? Just a moment or two of quiet as we reflect on those questions, as we reflect on Jesus' statements. I'm the gate. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Heavenly Father, as we head on into Holy Week and we remember the events of the last days of Jesus' life on earth before his crucifixion. As we journey, Lord, speak to us that we might hear your voice. Assure us that we might know we are the sheep of your pasture. Guide us, Lord to live lives and lives so full, so overabundant that other sheep, those lost, those strayed, those hurt and injured, those in danger, might look at your life in us and come to know the shepherd for themselves. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing our final hymn now, Sean and Rollo, Ruth are going to come and lead us. It's an opportunity for us to give to the life and work of the church here in financial means. If you're a visitor here, please don't feel obliged to give. We've loved having you. Um, but if you'd like to give and you're a taxpayer, you can make your gift more tax efficient by using the envelopes to the side of the pews. Let's stand and sing our final hymn together.
standing for our prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you. Father, for all your good gifts to us, we give you thanks and praise. Please help us to use these gifts and tokens and others given in other ways so that others may come to know you as the good shepherd. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Let's sit or kneel for our final prayer of blessing. May the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be amongst us and remain with us always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. You're all I want.
me 